Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another wonderful episode of Pastors of Pain County, Oklahoma, America. Um, last week, uh, I was not on the show, and I listen, actually listened to it, and it was a pretty good show. So I'm going to give Father Kerry a little credit for being able to handle things when I'm gone. I was in the mountains of Colorado, and uh, and he had uh, who did he have on? No, I'm, I'm like for, I'm like forgetting. Oh, F- oh, Father Paul Scheller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That was a good episode. That was a good episode. I forgot about it. Um, well, today Father Kerry is gone. So we're going to gossip about him for the next 30 minutes, and it's going to be pretty – I'm just kidding. He, Father Kerry is in South Carolina, uh, enjoying a little, a little time off. And I am joined by a very special guest, Dr. Matt Cabean of Oklahoma State University. Howdy, everybody. Matt Cabean, welcome to Pastors of Pain. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, what, are you what are you doing in Stillwater? What, what, how would you, how'd you get here? What's happening? Uh, first time I ever set foot in Oklahoma was to – interview for the job I have now. I'm a assistant professor of microbiology in the Department of Microbiology and Molecular Genetics. Bam. What's your what, what building? What building? Uh, Life Sciences East. So oh. just west of the library. It doesn't have a name like a name. Yeah, it's like that that these days that's probably a good thing. Yeah, that's thing, probably a good thing. Get names changed. get names get taken it's off and uh, and you've been here how long? Stillwater. Uh, 3 years. It's three about years. 3 years okay. we've been here. Yeah, you came like right when Father Kerry came. A little after, actually. A little after, and then I came a little bit after That's that. Right. So we're all new. We're all relatively speaking. All new. Every year it gets to be more and more like home. To good old Payne County. And you're originally from? Uh, Connecticut, but coming here from Boston. There so it is. We have that in common. A little East Coast. Yes, I knew when the when I moved here, uh, it was immediate Boston connections with the Cabines. That's right. Um, okay, what do you like teach? I mean, you teach microbiology. What is that? What is that for the for the lay for the lay person out there, unfamiliar with the way sciences yeah, so, uh, work? Biology of tiny things. So microbiology covers bacteria, viruses, fungi, and tiny eukaryotes. Those are organisms that have a nucleus, sort of like us, but are really tiny. And uh, the classes I teach, one is an introduction to microbiology, so it covers a whole bunch of stuff. About I bet that's a very interesting topic these days. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Everyone's an expert Especially on viruses now. now. Yeah, everybody wants to know about them and about some of the other stuff we cover, too. Basic immunology, how our bodies fight infections, oh. especially of, of little uh, things like bacteria and viruses. And the other class I teach is about antibiotics and antibiotic oh, resistance. Yeah. And that class has a history component where we talk about how how antibiotics change the world and how really we think about it now we, we take it for granted that when you get a scratch in the garden you're not going to die from an infection and that's because we have antibiotics available but wow. um, it was really only a little more than 100 years ago that the germ theory of disease was even conceived and became widespread before that for almost two millennia before that people thought that diseases were caused by imbalances among the four humors which led to things like uh, bloodletting yeah. and, and, and so leeches forth. exactly right <gasps> I remember learning about that. Wow. Okay. And so you uh, are we are we going to have class uh, this fall? What's the uh, deal? It's it's a mess, honestly. But we're going to uh, do the best, make the best of a bad. That's not situation. your call. It's above uh, your pay grade. Well, yeah. And we have a, a situation now where I have a class that antibiotic class has uh, turned out to be quite popular. I've got ninety-one students enrolled in a classroom that now, post social distancing, can hold sixteen persons. So it's going to be sort of a ro- rotating thing. Wow. Students are going to be able to come every now and then to class. And we've got a lot of – OSU has been great about it, uh, giving us 
the technology we need in order to broadcast. Yeah, things do to the things rest online and yeah. wow. Okay, now uh, some of you, uh, if you're if you go to St. Francis Xavier, uh, you would you also know Matt. You may have not seen him, but you've heard his voice because Matt is our is the director of our choir. Uh, well, tell us about that. You're a microbiologist slash choir director. Yeah, I, well, I guess we just sort of fell into that. Uh, I've uh, been singing for a long time and had the pleasure. So I, I'm an adult convert to Catholicism. I uh, came into the Catholic Church at Yale University in 2006, so 46 years after Peter Crave did, the same place. Oh, it turns out, I didn't know that. Uh, Peter Crave is a, a great author, Catholic yeah, philosopher. Yeah, Boston College uh, Wow. Professor. But anyway, um, it's wild. Uh, I had been singing in choirs, sort of semi-professional choirs before that, and then had the pleasure of working with a guy uh, named Richard Gard, who was, uh, I knew from Yale, from, a, uh, from these choirs that we sang, and he was the choir director there at St. Thomas More, and he sort of took me under his wing, told me, wow. taught me how to be a cantor, uh, taught me about how Catholic music worked as opposed to the Protestant music that I'd grown up with, mm-hmm. um, because they're in a you know, the typical churches that I went to before, there wasn't really like a cantor, there was no sung psalm or anything like that. And so I learned under him, and then uh, when we lived in Boston, I ended up uh, being a cantor and running one of the masses that we had just uh, with acapella music. And then uh, coming here, I don't know, just sort of ended up it doing, all, doing yeah, it a little bit. Yeah, there was no plan. It was just, it was like, hey, do you, you should do this. And you were like, yeah, all right, good deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's working. It's awesome. So, I mean, we get people say, Matt, Matt will be uh, humble about it, but people, you know, come like and just, and are, and are so, I think, inspired by the music at the parish. And we certainly have the space for it. I mean, a beautiful yeah. space. And so to match beautiful music with the beautiful church, yeah, making magic. And it's a really important part of uh, liturgy, too. It's not just uh, icing on the cake, so to speak. I mean, it's. It's part of it. It's huge. To, to, yeah. to know how the, yeah. the church views it. I mean, you've, you've heard the saying that uh, he who sings well prays twice yeah. in the words and in the music. Yeah. And it moves us in ways that just talking uh, does not. And, and people don't really know this, but uh, just as the church specifies the readings for each Sunday, there are also those chants that we mm-hmm. do, and those are specified mm-hmm. for each mm-hmm. Sunday too. So it's all part of the sacred curriculum. You have the, the readings, you have the prayers, you have the music. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, we're not going to talk about music today, though, even though we could. We could do multiple Someday. episodes on uh, awesome or bad church music. Uh, and I know everybody has their, everybody has their, their opinions on all things uh, musical. Um, but I want to talk about, okay, so uh, obviously science is in the news, right? We can't get away from it. Microbiology in the news. And we're not going to talk about COVID-19. Uh, but I, Thank you. I, yeah, yeah, I know it's like everybody wants to, I'm sure everybody find when they find out, or you're probably like in public, you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm a professor of what? Uh, well, science, music, no, uh, yeah, right. make something up. Um, but there is this, uh, Matt, there's like this tension out there. So this is kind of a big, a broad, a broad topic of, of science and religion. Right. And the, the perception is religious people can't be scientific and scientific people can't be religious but now here you are you're a devout catholic you're raising your children in the faith uh and you're a scientist so what's uh, what's the deal what how how is this how is this there first of all there are a lot of people like me there are a lot of people out there who are both scientists and uh persons of faith 
So that's not an unusual thing just to begin with. And there are many examples you can point to in, the, in history of great scientists who are also Yeah, let's talk about who, so, give so us, give so, us some so Give us some good ones. We, we, usually if you read a, a textbook of genetics, you hear about a man named Gregor Mendel who did this experiment with pea plants to show yep. how uh, genes sort among offspring, right? Mendelian genetics. But you never hear in textbook that he's father Gregor Mendel. So I went to public school my whole life. And I'm proud of that. And it was awesome. I had a great education. but And learned that. I mean, I took, every, you know, biology and all kinds of chemistry, whatever else, and learned about Gregor Mendel. I could tell you, but I think I was, I think I was in seminary when I learned that he was a priest. Right. And I was kind of ticked off. You did, did, no one ever told you that? Yeah. That, like what, right. that he was like, a, you know, a monk and a... In fact, you know, Bishop Robert Barron, he has in his diocese, he has these posters up in the, yes, the, the yeah. Catholic schools yep. of these famous uh, priests and, Catholic and Christians scientists, or yeah. Catholics who are scientists. So Georges Lemaitre is another priest. He's best known for developing the Big Bang Theory, which oftentimes people are like, oh, oh I don't believe in God. I believe in the Big Bang. Guess what? Who invented the, who invented the it? Big Religious Bang man. Somebody yeah. who believed in God. And the, the wow. list goes on and on. I mean, uh, Newton... Kepler, all, all Galileo, all these guys who uh, developed scientific tools throughout the ages. Also what did Kepler either, do? Uh, so Johannes Kepler, oh uh, yeah, the yeah, sort yeah. of motion of the planets. Yeah, and, uh, he was an astronomer. Wow. Okay. So yeah, all religious people. So where did it come? Like, where? How did we get to this? What seemingly in the 21st century, where science and religion are so? I think part of it is well, if if someone first would, were to say to me. Uh, how do you reconcile religion and science? Because the two are opposed. Like even you said, there's this tension between the two. Um, I would ask for some specificity. What tenet of religion or of faith is opposed to what finding of science? So some people would say like mir- so miracle, like miracles, Jesus right. healing people, or more modern. I mean, modern day Jesus is not, you know not not physically walking among us, but but there are these like modern day sort of healings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that, the, yeah. the, the, the idea of, of miracles. Um, uh, Peter Kraft, in fact, talks about miracles, and he, he says, well, we, let's first, let's do some science, all right? Let's do some science. And when I say do science, I mean, let, let's first define science. Science is a, a way of getting to information. It's a way of understanding and a way of knowing that's systematic. So it's based on considering possibilities, developing hypotheses, which is, you might remember from seventh grade, is a hypothesis like a, right. an educated guess, yeah, right? So you take some, theory, yeah. some data that leads you to, to make an educated guess, and then you look at evidence to try to either support or refute the hypothesis. So we can apply that method, and this is a, an important thing to, to note in this overall conversation, that when we speak about matters of faith, we're not excluding the scientific method from the, our way of thinking. Right, so we can still use yep. that systematic process, even if we're asking a question that relates to faith, like with miracles, does God intervene in the natural order is, is really what we're asking. Mm-hmm. And so we can think about the uh, possibilities. So Crafe names a couple of them. Either miracles are, uh, th- if, if miracles are actual, then they must be possible. Right? So if, if any miracle has ever yep. occurred, then miracles are in principle possible. That's we can be absolutely sure of that. It can be that miracles are possible, but that no miracles have actually occurred. Or yeah. that miracles are impossible, which excludes the possibility of any miracles having ever occurred or ever will occur. Okay, right. I'm so, with you. All right, so we can look at all the... Uh, nobody has ever been able to 
look at every purported miracle and independently verify whether or not it happened because that would take longer than a lifetime, right? So we're sort of left on uh, left to uh, ask whether miracles are possible. Most people that would deny that miracles happen are denying their possibility. So why would we, uh, what reasons do we have, what evidence do we have that miracles cannot possibly happen? If what we know and what's sort of generally accepted about a God figure is true, like a, a all-powerful being, being yeah. that created the universe, why would that being in any way be limited from intervening in the universe? And indeed, persons intervene in the natural order all the time. All the time, yeah. We can yeah. stop something natural from happening. We can, I'll give you an example. Uh, somebody gets an infection. The natural way of things is that that person will die. And we intervene by giving them an yeah, antibiotic. medicine and sure, right? sure. And so you, you think about the, sometimes, sometimes one of the objections to miracles is, is just that they're too weird. Imagine that you were the, <laughs> the, the, um, the first person, Ann Miller was, was her name in, in the uh, early 1940s, to be given penicillin. She'd had a miscarriage. She had sepsis, so bacteria in her blood. Mm. She was at death's door, fever of 104. They cultured her blood, and they just put an infinity symbol on her chart because they had so many bacterial colonies on the agar that they couldn't count it. And she was given penicillin experimentally. Her doctor happened Let's to know the shot. guy who, who, was, who was working yeah. on penicillin. Yeah. He got about half the nation's supply at the time, which was a couple grams. And uh, the next morning... Her fever was 99, and she was eating, and she lived wow. like 40 years after that. Wow. And so that's as strong that's as a, a— Miraculous. Exactly. It's sort of a yeah. miracle cure that no one had even anticipated, and that's with just human intervention. So in principle, God can in- intervene too within the world, and indeed, uh, we see that happen all the time. The number of stories of miraculous and sort of unexplained things uh, happening is great enough that I think that a reasonable person, at least in my opinion— looking at the preponderance of evidence would conclude that yep that's probably yeah from a scientific possible. just from a scientific standpoint looking look at the evidence and exactly it right. seems to support and that, that I want to drive that point miracles. home again because I've, I've talked to people who are very well, well educated Harvard professors who define faith as a belief that admits no evidence that's not how we define yeah, right. faith in the Catholic right, Church right and so if you want to try to build that straw man and put it on other, a straw man argument is when you build a caricature of somebody else. It's not really mm-hmm. uh, uh, reflective of what they believe. Mm-hmm. And you knock down that straw man, which is where right, a straw man's a lot easier to knock down than a real man. Um, if, you, if you're going to a priori from the beginning divine, define faith as admitting no evidence, well then, yeah, that's not my faith either. My faith yeah. not only admits of evidence, it depends on evidence. Yeah, so I think it, it's hard. Where uh, I think we have to make we have to like make distinctions. Uh, whereas I think there there are people who would very kind of try to try to sort of boil it down and try to put all religious people in one category. Right. Whereas we would say no. I mean, like what what the Catholic Church we're very pro science. Absolutely. Like we love science. I mean, the examples you mentioned. There's a, I like to say you know there's a, the Vatican has an observatory. Right. Indeed. Like we. Spend a lot of money and a lot of time and energy and like dedicate priests and religious brothers and like to to the work of science. I mean, look and, at and, well, and Catholic is, universities right. that have science departments. Well, where is a lot of science done at universities? Who invented universities? Right, monks. Yeah, it was really the Catholic yeah. Church that sort of uh, invented the concept of a place of higher learning, You're welcome, a place where OSU. you could, yeah, right, a place where yeah. you could um, explore ideas. And we're really like. 
nothing is off limits. And that's an, another wonderful thing about uh, the Catholic Church throughout the years is that uh, we are a, a faith that is uh, admitting of questioning. You can come, like, even though, so people sometimes say that uh, a criticism of the church is that we're dogmatic. And, like, yes, we have what we call we dogma, dogmas. right? We, ha- we have dogmas that um, we know to be true that are revealed by God, but you can question any of them. You're allowed to question God's existence, and then we can say, all right, let's explore that question. What evidence do we have for God's existence? What evidence do we have against God's existence? And it's the project of amazing intellectually gifted people like Thomas Aquinas to take that on, mm-hmm. for him to say, all right, let's consider all the best evidence for this hypothesis, all the best evidence against it, yep. and then let's come to a conclusion based on what evidence we have and good logic. So I think some people like would, uh, the, the, I think the easy one is like religious people, we think that the, you know, like the earth is 6,000 years old. Right. And we would say, well, there are the, there are religious people who think that, you know, kind of so-called sort of creationists. Young earth creationists. That the, the, yeah. the Bible is is to be taken quite, quite literally. When God created the earth, he created the earth in, you know, right. six 24-hour periods. periods. Uh, I just finished a book, an audio book on the dinosaurs, which was... I mean, I don't. I did not sure. know a lot about the dinosaurs other than like what I read in third grade, and it was unbelievable of just how old. Yeah. Uh, and I remember my dad and I. We went to there's a creationist museum in kind of Kentucky, Kentucky right outside of yeah. Cincinnati, and I remember like asking like, "What do you what's like?" Okay, so the Earth. You think the Earth is six thousand? And I was yeah, I was being nice, and charitable about it. But like, you think the Earth is six thousand years old? Like, what's the deal with dinosaurs? And in this particular person, I don't know if this is like the widely considered sort of theory on that, but but basically the explanation that I received was that dinosaur bones are kind of a, are a temptation of the devil to um, get us off. Yeah, literally believing in scripture, and I was just like, "What?" Well, let's well let's explore that a little bit because I think there's that the notion of that messed of, me let's up. say. Um, young earth creationism versus a more sort of evolutionary view has mm-hmm. really been a sort of a flashpoint in American culture. Certainly yeah, public these, schools exactly, and what, what do we what teach? Are, what are we going to yep. teach in schools? Yep. And I think there are some mis- misunderstandings on both sides there. And so let's let's define some terms. Yeah, so go like, for I try to do this with my students too uh, because there's some extrapolation that goes on that's unfair on both sides. So let's consider, first of all, uh, evolution at uh, Charles Darwin and what Charles Darwin sort of origin uh, put of species. In, in the origin of species. Now, I'm glad you said that because that's the name of the book. All right, on the origin of species. It's not on the origin of life. Mm. It's on the origin of species. Mm-hmm. So evolution is a, a a theory, a quite nice one, that explains how it is that living organisms change over time. And Darwin himself observed this happen. You can see it happen uh, yourself in agriculture, for example. We've bred animals to we do that right produce here in more milk. Right? We breed yeah. wheat to uh, produce more, to be more resistant to drought, et cetera. So we select for variations, for change that has occurred mm-hmm. that has some kind of property that, that we like. And the same 
uh, process, Darwin realized, occurs in nature too. There are what we call selective pressures, where a particular population with a like the particular genetic mutation might have an advantage over other members of that population. And so the ones with that mutation, they're the ones that survive, right? This concept of the survival of the, of the fittest, right? Yeah. And so um, that's really what evolution teaches. Evolution does not teach that uh, somehow non-life became life at some point. In fact, that was one of the first things that that, that that was believed for some time. Uh, it was called spontaneous generation. Mm-hmm. People used to think that like dead meat would give rise to live maggots. Maggots, yeah. Right? And so that yeah. was disproven in the, in the 16th century that no, it was living flies depositing their eggs that caused those maggots, not the dead meat. Um, so w- scientifically, we have no evidence that non-life ever becomes life, despite the fact that many people have tried to yep. make this happen. Yep. Um, and so sometimes people think that evolution teaches that unlike God making life, turning non-life into life, that somehow it happens spontaneously. That is not a teaching of evolution, right? So that's a mischaracterization. Many people who are uh, uh, believe in evolution also believe in spontaneous generation at some point, but that's not taught by mm-hmm. the theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have this, uh, like how did they arrive at this young earth sort of uh, hypothesis or this young earth model? Well, it's going back in the genealogies of the Bible and sort of saying, all right, well, if we, we think that so-and-so is this, this old when they begat their son and, and so forth. If we go backwards in time, that makes the earth only about 6,000 mm-hmm. years old. Now, what we would say as Catholics is that's sort of a, an overly literal reading of, of the Bible. Yep. Um, and, and not really, it's not just a, uh, an error of uh, interpretation, but sort of an, uh, a misjudgment of the kind of document that the Old Testament is. Yeah. It's actually reading it more as a scientific document than as a religious kind of document. A history book. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not. So it, it's as if the, you have some people sometimes say, oh, you know, the Bible's full of inconsistencies. Uh, there's this uh, one story that says that Jesus gave this uh, sermon on a mountain. And then another one says that he gave it on a plane. So obviously we can't trust it because uh, there's this inconsistency in it. But the Bible's not a scientific document, mm-hmm. and that's that's missing the forest for the trees. It's as if, uh, you know, we, we were at war, and some messenger came back, and he said, uh, General O'Brien, sitting astride his horse, said that we won. And then another guy comes in, and he says, General O'Brien, standing next to his horse, says that we won the war. And uh, we, we say, well, we're not sure whether we won or not because— uh, we're not sure whether he was astride his horse or standing next yeah, to it. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 the point yeah. is we won. we won the war. Like yeah. that that part yeah. is, is, is not yeah. in doubt. And so um, I think sometimes the same thing happens when we, we try to take an overly literal interpretation of the Bible. The, the, the point of the Genesis story, as uh, Scott Hahn points out excellently in this, in this uh, Bible study called Genesis to Jesus, of the creation account is not to provide sort of a scientific document saying, all right, this the fir- the first day of creation was like you know twenty four hours mm-hmm. and zero minutes and mm-hmm. zero seconds mm-hmm. that happened. Um, rather, it's telling us who did it that it was created by God, and maybe more importantly that He created the world to be good. Mm. Yeah, so it's really more about who did it than the exact mechanism by which it was created or the the timeline by which it was created. Wow. And and so so, so in that so way that the we are God has charged us with using our own powers of observation sometimes. Um, systematically, like using science to determine things about, you know, how the the world works. Like it was not uh, revealed to us by faith or by revelation that 
the sun is the center of the solar system, about how old the Earth is. That's stuff that he leaves to us to work out by our own powers mm. of observation. Yeah, so the idea of faith, we have, fa- we have faith, but we also have reason. So I think, and I think especially in Catholicism, our, I think one of the great, our, one of the great contributions to the world is that we've, we have both, and both are good, both are God-given, uh, and they're not to be, they're not, they're not. They actually, literally, they cannot uh, be in conflict with one another. Mm-hmm. The only thing that can, because both of them are uh, ways of getting at the truth. The only thing that can contradict truth is falsehood, mm-hmm. not another way of knowing the mm-hmm. truth. And so there are, I, I want to introduce a couple other terms. One is fideism, which mm-hmm. says that everything we know, we have to know by faith alone. And the other is rationalism, which many scientists make this error. They think that everything that's worth knowing, we can know only by our, our reason, mm-hmm. by our powers of observation. But the Catholic Church has always held that it's a mixture of the two, yep. and that in fact they cannot conflict because they're both aimed at knowing the truth. And the truth is the same in both cases. What, what really is, yeah. really is. I love that. Yeah, so I think it, to be able to... I mean, in your case, you know, as a as a man of faith and as a scientist, I think is a is a beautiful witness. And you said that you know, there's there's others like you. There's more of us out so there. So many. Uh, but the the kind of I think the easy way out is science and religion don't mix. And if you're a scientist, you can't be religious. And if you're religious, you can't be a scientist. And so the more we can, and this is like your Bishop Barron point, you know, of let's get those posters up in classrooms that show. Oh my gosh, look at all these like famous scientists, but then also like today, you know, in the modern mm-hmm. age, um, whether at OSU or at, you know, universities around the country, there are people of faith who believe in science. And that's yeah. where we get, you know, like politically, there's like this, I'm voting for this person or not voting for that person because they don't believe in science. And it's like, well, that, that, that's such there's a an over, over, yeah. over simpli- simplification, simplification. Such, a, such a gross sort of, uh, misclassification there to say that yeah. oh, I believe in science or I don't believe in science because there's, it really is multidimensional. You have uh, a healthy skepticism. You should have a healthy skepticism yes. as a scientist to say if someone makes some claim for you to be able to say, show me the evidence. And you don't have to be a t- formally trained scientist to use science. We use it all the time. You use it if, if you, you know, you get up in the morning and you have indigestion. You try to rule out the causes for it. Or if you, you can't start your car, I'm a you use the science. You are. You use yeah. the scientific process all the time. I mean, it's just the way that we live. We're built to use Even the if you were never trained to process. do so. That's yeah. right. The, the only difference between yeah. a professionally trained scientist and your average Joe is that like the things that I'm doing experiments about require a lot of equipment and technical knowledge. And if you're going to publish it, you have to have a very high standard of making sure that you accurately rule out certain possibilities. Yeah. But we all use that process all the time. And, and importantly, you can use that process it, in faith as well. You can even sort of do experiments, uh, if you will. Um, one, one way that that works out, you know, sometimes people get lost in these details of, uh, you know, what exactly happened at creation? How long did it happen? Mm. But really, the crux of our faith is, what do you think about Jesus? Who was Jesus? And then you can apply that same scientific process. What are, what's the claim and what are the possibilities? We've talked about that of like, like sort of C.S. Lewis's thing. Exactly. You know, okay, what, what is, who is Jesus? Lord, lunatic, or liar? Is he, is he a liar? Right? He, I, he said he's, he's God and he, he was knows kidding. He knows that he's not, yeah. You know, is he a lunatic? Is he crazy? He, th- he says he's God because he thinks he is, but he's really not. 
that's a that's a uh, yeah. I mean, that's a scientific, if you will, right. Sort of, and I challenge it's this, people it's like this, it, or it's this. It is from an evangelical pr- perspective. When you think about um, people wanting to come to faith, or you wanting people to come to faith, the relevant question is usually what's holding you back. And maybe for some small mm-hmm. subset of people, what's holding them back is some technical point about creation. There are people like that, but for most people, that's not it. If you were to engage someone in an argument and answer that question satisfactorily. Mm. They still at some point have to grapple with the question that Jesus himself asks, who do you say that I am? Yeah. Well, and I think there's things uh, to, to realize the limits of science. And I think right. th- that that it's, too, it's a it it, ha- it it can't science cannot answer. Right. C- science can answer a lot of questions, a lot of really beautiful and wonderful, but but it cannot answer Questions of like existence of, well, of what, the what's why. the meaning of life, yeah. or, or even yeah. is it appropriate to use science for this or that? Is it appropriate to um, manipulate the genetics of humans to try to make a superhuman? Mm. Science can't answer that question. How sh- how ought we to treat one another? Also, not how easy, do we answer not, that? Not yeah. easy to answer just using the science. Well, even yeah, moral sort of moral. You know, should we? Okay, we can make an atomic bomb. Should we? Should, exactly right. Should we drop it on exactly people? right? Uh, and that's where the church comes in, and that's where I think the, the church, in her wisdom of over the years, takes the best of science and the best of of who Jesus is and and what his church teaches, and we try to put those together and create a an ordered and with God's world help, and we will keep on doing that and make true progress. Woo! Easier, easier <laughs> said than done. Okay, well, we have come to the end of another wonderful episode. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Dr. Matt Cabean, microbiologist slash Catholic slash musician um, for joining us. Uh, we've got, we could, man, we could do this again. We could go round Anytime. and round and round. Okay, well, pray for Father Kerry. He's on his way back from South Carolina, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs>